you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. The first Sunday of every month, we have what we call Celebration Sunday, where we will partake of communion together, and it's also a time where we pause from our kids' church. So normally I would dismiss all of you kids, but today you get the privilege of hanging out with your parents and sitting under the preaching in here. So thank you for being here. Kids, you be a good example to those parents. Show them how to listen and learn well, all right, so they can live these things out, all right? Hey, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20 uh, this morning of Mark chapter 1. But before we get into that, uh, what's the series we've been going over? Well, Life Redefined, Following Our Servant King Through the Book of Mark. And the title of today's message is Jesus. We're going to look at his message, his mission, and his method. But before we get into that, I want to start by asking some questions. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What about uh, in midday? What, what motivates you to keep on keeping on? What about in the mundane seasons of life? What motivates you? Are you living for the paycheck? Are you living for the weekend? Maybe are you living for the vacation to go and travel the world? What are you living for? What motivates you? Uh, maybe you're living for a relationship. Maybe you're, you're living for some sort of position at work. Maybe you're living for, uh, to, to gain and get and have some sort of possession because we think maybe it, in getting these things, we'll get joy, we'll get satisfaction. Maybe we're living for the moment of our kids or the circumstances of life. And what you find with all of these things, if these are our motivations, we live on this up and down roller coaster. Because none of these things completely or fully satisfied. There can be joy in these things, but these things can often come and go. They're not constant. And so if we allow these things to be our motive in life, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. For God never designed you and me to find full joy and satisfaction in these things. He's created these things that we could enjoy them, but they're not supposed to be the, the end-all, be-all. They're not supposed to be the ultimate factor of what we're doing and why we're living. They should not be the motivating thing that gets us up and gets us going in the morning. And so, hopefully, as a result of our time together, we'll see that part of our motivation, our motivation in life, our drive in life, is really connected to Jesus and his message and living out his mission. Because when we come to understand this, we, we come to discover a greatest purpose in life. You see, Jesus' mission was to proclaim his message. And that message was the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And this message is truly transformative. Uh, it, it fundamentally changes everything in our whole life. It's a shift in the way that we walk and talk and live life in general. And so Jesus' mission and message of life provides our motivation in and for life. So having said that, our big idea for today, you'll see it right there. Life's motivation is rooted in the message and mission of Jesus. Having said that, let's get into our scripture reading as we look at verses 14 through 20. After John was arrested, Jesus went out to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Lord in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of God where we get to see Jesus on full display. We see his mission, we see his message, and we even see the method uh, which should motivate us into how we should live. So today, for the time that we have, help us to stay in tune to your word, that we would be changed and transformed for, from it. And then as we go out from here, that we would actually live these things and have a greater purpose and motivation for our day-to-day living. We get, commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, to build a great organization, I think there's really three things that uh, are needed, essential elements. A compelling vision, right? Uh, A really great leader, and then those that would follow that leader. And in our story today, that's exactly what we're going to see. Jesus is going to be casting this vision Uh, He's going to be this great leader, and he's going to be recruiting others to follow his lead. That's what we're going to be seeing. And so, just as we'd see, that's how you build a great business model. Jesus isn't giving us a business model, but he is giving us some building blocks of how he's going to be building and establishing his kingdom. He he has a mission, he has a message, and he wants us to follow in line and fulfill this and, and join him in the endeavor. Last week, if you recall, we saw the inauguration of the king, right? Uh, the, the baptism, uh, the big announcement, like that he is here, the Messiah is here, everyone's been put on notice. That was the inauguration. And today is almost like the inauguration speech. Just like any king that comes to office or a president that comes to office, there's the inauguration and then there's the, the speech, the proclamation. I mean, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the very first time that we've heard Jesus speak. And what is he going to say? Hello, my name is Jesus? Or is he going to have something else, something more direct? He's going to get right to the point, and we're going to see that today. And so in this message of his declaration, he's going to show that message and his mission, but here's what we're going to see. Jesus is fully devoted to this mission, and he's calling individuals to be fully devoted to him, to understand the mission and carry out that message beyond him, because he knows that he came to live to die. His time here on earth is limited, So he wants to bring others into this process of the kingdom building. So verse 12, if you recall, we saw the long-awaited prophecy. John the Baptist is proclaiming the Messiah is coming, someone greater than I, whom I am not even worthy to tie his feet. He is coming. And so he breaks through right here in these verses today. And so Jesus was baptized, led into the wilderness. He's there for 40 days, and now he comes out of the wilderness. But he's not going into Jerusalem. He's going into Galilee. And just like Old Testament, as God would deliver them into the wilderness, he would also deliver out of them. And so here's what we see. Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and he's bringing a message of deliverance. And he wants us to get this. He wants us to grasp this. So the first thing we're going to look at is his message. Verses 14 and 15 says this, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You know what's so interesting here? It's just a footnote. Jesus' cousin is arrested and thrown in prison. Like, this is some bad news, but Mark isn't looking to focus on the bad news, and Jesus isn't either. In fact, he quickly pivots from the bad news to Jesus proclaiming the good news. I think we can learn a little something from this, because the world in which we live has lots of bad news, and we can get caught up in all this bad news, which really pulls us away from proclaiming the good news. Jesus doesn't like, my cousin's in prison, I'm going to go bail him, I'm going I'm to get to the bottom of this, the injustice. No, 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 no. Yeah, sorry, John, but I got to continue about my mission and my message. I got to continue preaching and proclaiming this good news, for that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. We ought not get caught up in all of this stuff. All this stuff is weeds. Focus on the good news. And so Jesus intentionally goes away, and he goes to Galilee. Now, Galilee, this region, is the region where Jesus grew up. So even as he encounters some of the people he encounters today, because we don't see a whole lot of background, we just, say, we just see him say, follow me, and these guys are like, follow him. He's grown up for 30 plus years in and around this region. He's going to be making friendships along the way. People are going to know about him, and plus, John the Baptist has been preaching and proclaiming him, and so as we see some of these men that decide to follow him, they, they've heard of this. This is not something new that just some stranger walks up to the Sea of Galilee and like, whoa, yeah, I'll follow you. No, no, no. There is much other things going on behind the scenes if we think about it in the full context. So he's arrested, he goes to Galilee, and then we see this good news that Jesus is going to proclaim, the good news of God. It's going to be revealed through the Son of God. Well, what is this good news? This message is the good news of Jesus. Jesus will proclaim the gospel, for indeed he is the gospel. He basically is saying, the good news has arrived. It's here, it's me, it, it looked to me. And so Jesus here introduces his call, and his first words are, interesting enough, this op opening declaration is not, people, how can I be a good king to you? He's actually calling them to look to him. So it's not a matter of us telling Jesus to conform to us, but it's Jesus saying, I look for you to conform to me. I look to you to follow me. This is why he says, repent and believe the good news. He's wanting us to understand his authority. And so he proclaims this message, and this call that he's calling out, people to repent and believe this good news, it's a very clear call. I mean, it's confrontational, it's compelling, but it's also compassionate. I mean, look at the scriptures, it says the time has come. This is not the time of the day, but this is a special and unique time in redemptive history. God has personally left heaven's throne room, come down here to dwell amongst men, to fulfill a greater mission than our daily mundane life. And he's calling us to this. Think about it. This is the sovereign hand of God who was there in the creation of man, and now he brings forward a new creation to man. A man who is deadened in their own sinful state, and he comes to bring forth life. This is a loving, caring, compassionate king. This is not one that's just looking to bring condemnation. He's calling people to him to save them from condemnation. What a wonderful king. And so the time, for 400 years, it's been silent. There's been nothing going on. The Old Testament closes and there's silence. And people are wondering, will God ever speak again? Well, God comes in the flesh and he speaks. And as he speaks, we should probably listen up to what he has to say. 
because it's probably something really good. And what does he say? I have arrived. And I have brought, look at the, the, the scripture, I have brought the kingdom of God near. What was once far off. Because of your sin, you're far off from God, and yet this gospel is brought near to you. In my very presence, I bring it. Because the, the kingdom of God is not just this place, but it's the actual presence of God, and Jesus brings that near. I've arrived. You've been looking for the kingdom. The kingdom has arrived. It's me. It's found in me. And light is breaking into darkness. Hardened hearts will be softened. The silence will be silent no more as Jesus speaks. And he brings forth new life. And so Jesus taught both present and future dimensions of the kingdom. So as you study here and other aspects of the Gospels, you'll come to understand, and this is seen in the Gospel of Mark, this is really the inauguration of the kingdom, right? That, that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again. But the, the, the consummation of the future kingdom has not yet arrived. Jesus isn't physically here now living and dwelling amongst us, and we're not living in this perfect, wonderful place called heaven. Um, I'm looking around, and, and I turn on the news of the bad news, and I'm seeing, no, th this, isn't, this isn't it. This isn't the be-all, end-all. There's something greater, something more that Jesus is wanting to call them to. And so we're living in the stage of the already, it's been inaugurated, but the consummation, the full understanding, appreciation of it is future tense. And so he's wanting them to understand this, and we're going to see this throughout the teaching of the life of Christ. The kingdom of God is brought near, though. It's brought near in the person of Jesus. He brings his presence to proclaim God's kingdom. And so here's what I come to understand that they didn't fully understand yet. Jesus was looking to establish his kingdom within the hearts of man, there's a reason why he didn't go to Jerusalem or to Rome. He's not looking to establish then and there the kingdom of brick and mortar and beautiful palaces in Rome. He's actually looking to establish his throne in the throne room of your heart. For that's where the true change is going to take place, and that's why his kingdom came down. Because otherwise we cannot go up and be a part of this. And so he, he brings it to man. What a great and awesome and a mighty king. You see, God's kingdom is not merely a dwelling place, in which he abides, but it is also a people group for which he provides. I'm going to say that again. God's kingdom is not merely a dwelling place in which he abides, but it is also a people group for which he provides. God is seeking to not be far off, but to draw near to you and to me. He wants to bring us into his kingdom, and so he brings this kingdom near unto man. So here is Jesus calling people to be a part of God's kingdom. That's, that's the message. What a loving and kind king. And he loves, he loves us where we are at, and yet he desires to bring them and us something better. So in his kingly rule, he seeks to make an authoritative call, repent and believe. Now you're smart individuals. Most of you probably know what repent is, but just by way of reminder to myself, to repent is a change of heart, mind, and direction. This can involve sorrow, but to repent is to really give over the control center of my heart and my life 
and yield it to God and say, Lord, you take control. That, that, that's what this repenting is, repenting of my wrong. I want you to make things right, and it's done under this authority of Christ. I want you to rule. I want you to reign within my life, and so this is a change of mind which leads to a change of behavior. That's the basic essence of what repentance is, and so this concept of repenting is really based upon faith in Christ, who he is and what he offers. And what does he offer? Think about this, my friends. Jesus, the king of glory, offers you a seat at his table. <laughs> he brings the kingdom near for you to be a part of it. Ah. Oh. There's no other means to be a part of God's kingdom. You see, Christ is the king who gave all, so that we would turn from all to discover all that we need is actually found in him. Do you understand that? There's no other means to be a part of this kingdom except to realize that Christ gave all so that we could actually inherit all. So there's this aspect of element of he wants them to repent, 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 but the other side of the coin, the flip side of the coin, the, the addition to is to believe. Not just general belief, not just a... a a mystical faith, but a faith in the good news, the good news of who Christ is and what he proclaims and what he offers. And so here's what we see. Repentance is the, the complement to belief. That is the message of Christ. Re repentance is what we turn from. Belief is what we turn to. So I repent from my sin this way, and I turn to Christ in belief, and I go this way. It's this repentance and belief. They go hand in hand, two sides, same coin. This is the unchanging and uncompromising message of Christ and his kingdom. If we preach a gospel that does not have this repentance and belief upon Christ and the good news, we, we miss out on God's kingdom, which he's brought near. This is the message of Christ that he's proclaiming. If someone proclaims some other message than what Christ proclaims, we ought to say caution. No, 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 that's not what Jesus said. And so we need to be aware of this. And so Jesus, in his humble, authoritative way, is declaring the king is here. I bring the kingdom to you in my very presence. And I want us just to pause just for a moment. People throughout history are trying to find their way in life. They're trying to find value, identity, purpose, they're longing to discover joy, who I am, why do I exist, where do I come from, why does it matter? These are all good questions that I think most people wrestle with. And Jesus comes to level the playing field and say, hey, listen, I, I have a purpose for you, and this purpose is found in understanding my message, and then you actually living out this mission. I, 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 I created you, I love you, and I have great things in store for you. So as people are wrestling with all those questions, they start looking in all these different avenues and outlets to find this happiness and joy. And they might find one for a temporary thing, and then, no, that's not it. And then they look here, and they look here. And what do we do? When we look around, we look at our culture and the world in general, people are really confused, right? Because they haven't heard the, the clear message of who Christ is and what he offers. Because in Christ, we have our identity. In Christ, we have our value. and in, in Christ, we are loved. In Christ, we are accepted. This is what Christ offers. Man doesn't know this, though. They don't just wake up and are born knowing all this stuff. So we must proclaim this good news of Christ to others. 
And so Jesus comes on the scene and he provides this great clarity of I'm the Christ, I'm the creator, and I'm the one who brings eternal life. I bring it to you, just, just follow me. Too often people are just looking to the wrong places or the wrong people when they need to be pointed to look to the person of Christ. And you and I know this good news and it's too good just to hold on for ourselves. We must share this with others. Jesus does for man what man cannot do for himself. This is the message of Christ. And so today, whether you would identify as a Christian, a follower, a believer of Jesus, or in, your, in the other category, non-Christian, non-believer at this point in time, the message is the same for both of you. Repent and believe and follow. Repent, believe, and follow. That's what we're going to see here in this story and throughout the Gospels. He's the one who brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's the one that takes us from being hopeless to granting us hope. He's the one that takes us from being defeated to finding victory. This is who Christ is and what Christ offers. So we've seen this message of him bringing the kingdom to us, this good news. That's, that's the message that he wants them to, to grasp. Repent, believe, follow. But let's look at his, his mission. And we're going to look at verses 16 to 18 right now. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Peter, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. What is the mission? The mission is to take the message to man. The mission is to take the message to man. Jesus is dedicated to seeing this message break through the heart and throne room of man. He's not just looking to hold this news to himself and keep it a big secret or mystery. He's going out anywhere and everywhere and calling people to him. This is his message that he is looking to do and proclaim this message. And here's what we come to see and understand about Jesus. You see it in all the Gospels. Like, this is who Jesus is. Jesus gives this message, and he's living on mission to the rich people, the Pharisees and scribes, to the poor people, the downcast, to the rebellious people, to the people that would look at their life and say, I'm ruined. And he, he also reaches across the, 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 the line and says, to all nations, to all races, to all people groups. This is what Jesus does. His message and his mission isn't just to this group, but it's to the whole group. And so as we go out from here, we, we need to see those within our community, regardless of who they are or what their background is or age or stage in life, and say, you know what? Christ wants to call them to be a part of this kingdom. And we need to see this is who Jesus is and this is who Jesus compels us to be. But here's what we see. We see two brothers, Simon and Andrew. They're just fishermen. They're just common, everyday men. This wouldn't be my number one draft pick if I'm putting together like, you know, this, this big business plan and I, I want other people that are connected and all these things. And we don't see him doing that. He picks two fishermen and he simply says, follow me. It's kind of a bold statement, right? Like, I mean, what if I just walked up to you and said, hey, follow me? You'd be like, I ain't following you. Who are you? Why would I follow you? Well, follow me. It's outrageous when you think about it. Give up everything, walk away. Uh, I got a good life here, and, and to go and follow this? For the average man, this is a crazy call, a crazy command. 
But Christ is not the average man. You see, Christ is a king with a kingdom, and he is bringing that kingdom to man. So when he says, follow me, he's saying it with such authority. And later on, we'll see others scratching their head and says, who is this man who speaks with such authority? He is not like the others. Yeah, that's right. Because he's an actual king with a kingdom, and he's calling us to be a part of it. And so Jesus' authority is directly connected to Jesus' identity. His authority is connected to his identity. You see, if I'm the president or king, I can walk around with a certain confidence about me because of who I am and the authority in which I have. That is Jesus. He's not walking around as some arrogant, just high and mighty proud man, but, but he realizes who he is the creator and sustainer of all, and so his identity is connected to his authority, and so he is the king, he is the redeemer, he is the Messiah of the world. And he's putting the world on notice that the king, the creator of the world has arrived. And both then and now, Jesus is expanding his kingdom in the heart of man, both then and now. You know what's interesting? In Bible days, rabbis didn't go around recruiting students the students would actually look at the different rabbis and say, I want to follow this rabbi. I want to follow this rabbi. It would be the the students that would actually select their rabbi. So what Jesus is doing is once again unprecedented. You don't see rabbis doing this, but Jesus isn't like these other rabbis. He's saying, hey, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. There's this authoritativeness of who he is the King, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so as he starts to establish his kingdom, it's just weird, right, when we consider where he goes. I mean, have any of you really been to Galilee? It's really not that impressive. In fact, in this day and time, Galilee wasn't that impressive then either. People wanted to flee to Jerusalem. So Jesus goes to an unusual place, And he calls some unknown people to start and establish this kingdom work on this journey ahead that we're going to see over the next months. You know, when we think of Gospel Grace Church, kind of meeting in a, I don't know, unusual place here in a cafetorium. And I don't want to call you unusual people, right? But I mean... I don't know you that well. You don't know me that well. Why? Because we're not the prestigious. We're not the elite. We're not the the cream of the crop in in the eyes of the world, maybe, right? And yet, when we look at the story of Jesus, he goes to unusual places, picks unknown, ordinary people, and uses them to do some extraordinary things. Wouldn't that be great if that would be said of us, of you, of me, of gospel grace? I think that's what God would love and still desire to do. And so he gives us this roadmap, this template for us to follow. God, by his grace and for his glory, his mission and his message continues. We see it inaugurated here. It's just beginning here, but it goes beyond Mark chapter 1. And where it says that I will make you fish for people, that's not just a play on words. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a few different, three different passages. We might only look at two of them, but... Jeremiah 16, 16 says this. I am about to send for many fishermen. 
This is the Lord's declaration, and they will fish for them. I will first repay them double for their iniquity and sin because they have polluted my land. That doesn't, look, that doesn't sound so good. But then in Amos 4, 2, it says this. The Lord God has shown by his holiness. Look, the days are coming when you will be taken away with hooks, every last one of you with fish hooks. So here's what we come to understand. In the Old Testament, the, the concept of fishing and hooks and catching was divine judgment. But here, as we look at Jesus fishing for men and, and calling these people to fish for people, this is a call for divine deliverance. So rather than judgment, he's calling people, you and me, Andrew and James and John and Simon, to be a part of this divine deliverance work. Not that they're doing it, but they're agents in the hand of God, being used of God in a mighty work of God. This is what we're seeing take place here. And think about it. Isn't it a beautiful picture? I'm sure most of you have been fishing, understand the concept of fishing, right? A, a fish is going this direction. You're fishing for them. You snag them with the hook. And now you're pulling them this direction. This is what Jesus is calling them to. You're heading this way. Others are heading this way. I want us to be a part of throwing that hook out and allowing God to reel them and pull them in a totally different, better, greater direction. This is what he's calling them to. Verse 18, Jesus makes this call. Well, if someone calls, it requires a response. And the response, we see it right here. The, the, the call is, follow me. And immediately, without delay, these men fall in line. They commit themselves to the call of Christ, the message and mission. They're committed to this. They're committed to, to live for Christ. They're going to repent. They're going to believe. They're going to follow. And so as they fall in line to the call of Christ, they realize this Jesus is going to take priority in all they say and all that I do. Christian, non-Christian, I want to ask you the question rhetorical so I don't answer out loud, but would that be said of you? Then in all areas of life, you are prioritizing your life to embrace his message and live on mission. Is that your motivation for what gets you out of, out of bed each day? Or are there other things and the mission and message of God gets shelved until Sunday? He's calling us to live on mission each and every day in whatever context that looks like in your life. And so no doubt these men had considered the cost. They knew what they were walking away from in their fishing business. But here's what I know. They didn't completely know or understand what they were walking into. They actually had one idea of who Jesus was and what he was going to offer, and he's going to radically change their world over the next three, four years, and then beyond that. And the same is true for you and I today. So, man, the following Jesus seems a little scary. There's all these unknowns, and that is true. But that was true then, and it's true now. And so God doesn't call us to have a full understanding. All God calls us to is to just fully trust him by faith. He's a good king, has good intentions, and in the end, it's, it's going to be greater than anything that we've ever known. And he wants us to, to understand this and to not get sidetracked by all the what-ifs or I don't know the answer, but to follow him by faith. You see, to follow Christ and his eternal kingdom is a willingness to forsake my personal kingdom. 
To follow Christ and his eternal kingdom is a willingness to forsake my personal kingdom. And we're faced with those same decisions today. Will we follow by Christ? Will we, will we follow Christ by faith? Or will we be hindered by the things that are maybe luring us in a different direction? Christ calls us to forsake our kingdom and to be an active part of his kingdom. That means we have to forsake our rights. We have to forsake maybe our daily routines, our rebellious lifestyle, and maybe even some of our relationships. And we're going to see that here in verse 19 and 20. Christ says, forsake all, follow me, it's worth it. I'm king over all, so come one, come all, come now. Look at verse 19. Going on a little further, he saw James and John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, in a boat, putting their nets in the water. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. They just left him. Him and the boat, their father, with the hired men and followed him. Very similar calling to what we saw with Simon and Andrew. The same is true of James and John. He called, they answered immediately, and they sought to follow. They left the family business to be about God's business. So in the early stages here, it's Jesus, and then it's two, and then it's four. But he's recruiting, he's recruiting. And why would they follow well, if we were to look back throughout all of Mark chapter 1, here's what we see. This is one reason why they follow him. Well, he is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's the Mighty One, the Worthy One, the One who brings the Holy Spirit, the Spirit Anointed One, the Beloved Son, the One who pleases God, and the One who brings the Kingdom of God near. And that's just Mark chapter 1. That's why they would follow this man, because he's not like any other man. So what is his method? So we've seen his message, we've seen his mission, but, but what is his method? What's the entire text of today? The means or method is through his people. Here's what we see. God calls people to him. Repent, believe, follow me. He then changes and transforms them. He does the work, not you, not me. He, by his grace, he does the work of changing. He calls, he changes, and then what does he do? He commissions. He sends us out to now do this work. Because he knew his life was not all about living and dwelling here on earth forever and ever. He came to live, to die, to be the sacrifice for you and me. But not just to then hold that good news, but then to actually carry that good news. It commissions us out. This is what we see. So the method of spreading this mission and this message is through mankind. It is through his believers. It is through his followers. But not just followers. Christ calls us, that is me and you, to be spirit-filled, word-saturated Christians to carry on his mission and message. You see, when we're tainted with sin, this hinders our ability to be used of God. When we're full of sin, it, 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 it intermingles and messes up the, the work of God within our life. We're supposed to be spirit-filled and spirit-driven. And so when we get caught up or entangled in sin, which can happen for a Christian we then lack the motivation and we then lack living out the message and mission of Jesus. So just as he was calling them to repent, we too as Christians need to look to ourselves and say, you know, where, what areas do I need to repent of? What areas am I not living and fulfilling the mission of God? This should motivate and change how we live. It's a beautiful thing that God takes broken vessels like me and you. He binds us into usable, valuable vessels where we can be used of him. You and I can't fix anyone. I would love to try to fix some of my kids from time to time, 
I can't. I need God to do a work within their life and heart that I cannot do. You hang out with me long enough, you'll see that I'm broken, that God is still fixing and doing a work in me. But I want to be yielded to that work. Why? So that I can, be ye- I can be yielded to him, so that I can be used of him to continue to see his message and mission go forth. That's, that's the method of God. And so as we close, I want you to consider just a few things. We've seen the, me- the mission, message, and method. But what does this mean for us? Well, if the gospel message truly goes out through God's people, then we must proclaim this message to ourselves and others. You see, living out this mission must be, must be our ultimate motivation in life. It's, it's what we do, and it describes how we are to live. So I have five things for you that we're going to look at super quickly. Um, if you don't write them all down, that's fine, because I'll send them out in our worship preview tomorrow. But five means to preach the gospel message to ourselves and even to others. And so hopefully the end result of seeing this, here's what we'll, hopefully we'll see. We're a, we're a much bigger sinner than we actually thought we were. But we'll actually hopefully also see that Jesus is a much greater savior than we thought he was. So five things real quickly. This is kind of like, the consideration to the application aspect. So number one is this. See and own our own sin. See and own our own sin. This is something we need to preach to ourselves before we go out and preach it to others. Examine ourselves in the mirror of God's word. Pray that God would bring to light the negative emotions and attitudes, the sinful areas that are rebellious against God and his holiness. We all have sinful blind spots that we don't even realize. They're, they're subtle things, but we just do them naturally and normally, and that we don't even realize them. Ask God to reveal these things, right? Number two is this. See the sin beneath the sin. You're like, what is that? Well, push the why question until you find whatever you are looking to other than Jesus for meaning and value. Oftentimes, we're trying to fill voids, and so we, we, we get entangled in this sin, or we do this, or we do this, or we do this. Why? because there's a sin beneath the sin. Oftentimes we see the fruit of sin. There's a deeper root that we need to get, dig down to and unpack. Number three is this, and I just want to say, with that, Jesus is enough. We don't need all these other things, and so discover the sin beneath the sin. Number three is this, see repentance as a gift. Pray for the gift of repentance. The problem with uh, us oftentimes, we think it's like I just need to try harder. I just need to stop sinning. I mean, some, have you ever had someone do that? Like, well, I've struggled with this for years. Well, just stop. Well, if it were that easy, we would all just stop. It's not that easy. And so that's not good advice. We need to ask God to change our heart, to give us a desire for something different, a desire for something better. And so the answer is not try harder. Willpower, no. The actual solution is yield more to the Holy Spirit power of God. See repentance as a gift. Number four, see Jesus as the only true Savior. You see Jesus lived for you? Think about ways to give thanks to Jesus as he lived obediently where we have failed. But he not only lived for you, he died for you. And so think about Jesus' death on the cross for your specific sins. You see, then we can thank God that our sins have been punished once and for all on the cross. And therefore, we can be dead to our our sins 
and alive to live victorious over our sins, not because of me, but because of Christ in me. And then number five is this. See the gospel as your motivation for living. Embrace it and know that the gospel changes you. The gospel changes everything. And it should change our our motivation for what we live for, what we pursue, how we walk, how we talk. It, It changes every element of our life. And so where we once, prior to Christ, thought our life is aimless and we're just kind of stumbling and bumbling through life, in Christ, we now become ambassadors of him. We inherit eternal life that we can enjoy even briefly now, knowing that there is this eternal kingdom that he is preparing for us even now. So may the gospel message and mission motivate us in all aspects of life. That big idea, guys, our motivation in life is rooted in the message and mission of Jesus.